Uh, good evening, friends. Please do have a seat. Uh, we've got Matthew 5 open, uh, and tonight we're just looking at verse 6 of the, uh, that chapter. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, if you're someone who, we're going to look um, uh, at some Old Testament passages. If you're someone who likes to flip uh, and uh, is, uh, wants to follow, then I just get you to put your bookmark in Isaiah 61 uh, on page 741, page 741, you can put your bookmark there. Uh, we'll move through a few passages in Isaiah, uh, but that'll be a place to start, Isaiah 61, uh, and then keep your other bookmark in Matthew 5, or keep you in something else in Matthew 5, which is where the passage is for today. Uh, when you've got that, the other thing you might want to do is um, have your center page of the bulletin open, uh, to see the outline of where we're going. Uh, uh, it's a very simple outline, but, but it's there, um, so that uh, you can see where we're up to. Right, we've got all that. Let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have gathered us together as your people around your word. We thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through this word. Uh, we pray that you will do so tonight. We pray that you help me to preach your word rightly and in your spirit's power. We pray that your spirit would open each of our hearts uh, so that we not only understand but trust uh, your word um, and that you make us people who truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we ask that you work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were given one wish that you knew would certainly come true, what would you wish for? Now, the smart Alex, of course, are going to say, I wish for a hundred more wishes, right? Uh, but put that aside. Right? What is it that you long for? What is it that you really desire? What is it that you think that you really need? Well, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been speaking about the blessed ones. Now, being blessed means God looks favorably upon you. And here it means that you experience the ultimate well-being or happiness under God's favor. And Jesus describes these blessed ones in eight ways, in eight sayings in which we call the Beatitudes in verses 3 to 10. Now, he's not telling us about eight different groups of people, right? as if the, the poor in spirit over here, well, they're going to inherit the kingdom of God, and then over here is those who mourn, that's a different group, and, and they're going to be comforted, and then here's the meek, uh, and they will inherit the earth. Uh, or, actually, another translation would be, they will inherit the land, because the word land and, and earth is the same word. Uh, no, no, he's talking about one people, the true people of God. And these are eight characteristics of these people. And the outcomes that he describes are the blessings that God has promised to his people. And as we've seen in the previous weeks, the key to understanding these Beatitudes is to, to read them in their context, but not just the immediate context, but in the context of the Old Testament, that part of the Bible that was written before Jesus came. Because for both Jesus and his hearers, they knew that the Old Testament was the word of God. That was the background that they shared. And so as Jesus comes to teach his disciples, he's not starting with a blank page. 
He's assuming all God's plans and purposes and revelation in the Old Testament. He's showing his disciples how it all fits together, how they're fulfilled in him, how they're applied to us. And so you can really only understand these Beatitudes in light of the Old Testament. Now, one important Old Testament passage we've looked at over these past few weeks has been Isaiah 61. Uh, Isaiah 61, if you've got your bookmark in there, uh, is on page 741. Now, Isaiah 61, it was written for God's people who were in exile. Now, what's this exile? Well, many years before that, when God gave Israel the land for them to dwell in, he made a covenant with them. If they followed him and they obeyed him, he would bless them richly in the land. But if they disobeyed him and they worshipped idols, he would punish them. And eventually he would remove them from that land. Just like he punished Adam and Eve and removed them from the Garden of Eden when they sinned against him. Israel, well, they sinned again and again and again. And so God announced through many prophets, including Isaiah himself, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that a people would be taken away into exile, uh, into a country far off. But in Isaiah 61, uh, Isaiah speaks of a time after the exile. A time when God would come to save his people once again. A time when God would bring his people back and give them something better than they even had before. You know, those who loved God in Jesus' day were, were still waiting for this time because even though many of the Jews have physically come back to the land, the, the rest of God's promises hadn't been fulfilled. And so the exile in one sense was still happening. But Isaiah 61 pointed to the end of it. And so this passage spoke, in chapter, you look at 61, and in verse 1 it spoke about God's anointed one bringing good news to the poor. Right? The good news there in Isaiah is news that the exile is soon to be over, that God has come to save and rule his people. In other words, the kingdom was about to come. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 61 spoke about the anointed one bringing comfort to all who mourn. You see that at the end of verse 2. Those exiles who were grieving the effects of exile and the sin that caused them to be sent in exile in the first place, they were in mourning. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, Isaiah 61 verse 7 uh, speaks about God's people receiving a double portion of their inheritance in the land. They would receive everlasting joy in that land. And Jesus said, quoting Psalm 36, that the meek shall inherit the land. And so Jesus, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is setting himself up as God's anointed one the Messiah, announcing the coming of the kingdom, the end of the exile. But we've also seen that the kingdom that he announced is not the kind of kingdom that the Jews were expecting. Because Jesus was looking beyond the physical exile to the real one. 
Isaiah's prophecy was going to be fulfilled at a higher level than just the return of the Jews to their homeland. Because the exile from the land was a picture of the bigger exile from the Garden of Eden. And the poor Jesus was talking about, not just the physically poor exiles, but, but the poor in spirit. Those who were affected by this real exile. Those who are under God's curse, who are, who are facing the judgment because of sin, but who mourn for their sins and long for the coming of God's forgiveness and restoration. And the meek that would inherit the land would be those who trust in God to bring in the kingdom rather than fight for it with a sword. And the land they would inherit would be that promised land of the new heaven and new earth, the home of the righteous. And Isaiah 61 doesn't just say those things. The end of verse 6, or end of verse 3 rather, we see God's purpose for saving his people out of the exile. And the reason at the end of verse 3 is this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. God was going to save his people. He was going to give them the kingdom and comfort them and bring them into the land of the inheritance to, to plant them in there permanently. Like those majestic old oaks. Plant them there permanently as oaks of righteousness to make them his righteous people in the land of their inheritance. Now, having seen the Old Testament background, let's think about what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, the word, the word righteousness is actually a multifaceted uh, righteousness is uh, at least three different things. It's firstly about our standing with God. Right? Uh, if you're righteous, that means God says, you're good, you're acceptable, you're not guilty. Right? Uh, as Christians, we know, as believers, even though we are sinners, if we trust in Christ, we are considered righteous. We're considered not guilty of sin because we're united with Christ. We are treated together with him. Jesus bore our sins on the cross, so our sins are not counted against us anymore, uh, but he shares us his righteousness, and we are considered righteous. God can say, you are good. That's a standing, a position. But righteousness is also about practice. It's about personal holiness in day-to-day -day life. That's another aspect of righteousness, another meaning for the word. A righteous person is someone who seeks to trust and obey God from the heart and live a life that is pleasing to him. And so there's practical, there's positional righteousness, understanding, and there's practical righteousness in our day-to-day -day living. But there is another sense in which righteousness is, is like the idea of God's justice. Remember, God's people were suffering there in the exile. They're longing to be in a place where, where God's justice will be done. They're oppressed and looking forward to the day when, when they'll be treated rightly, with righteousness. They look forward to be back in a society when things are done in a way that's consistent with God's holy law, with, with righteousness. And, and so righteousness is also about God's rule of justice and his plans to save his people, to judge the world. And so, as you think about these three aspects, actually, when you go back to Isaiah, you find all those three there. When God comes to rescue his people, he gives them a righteous standing. 
If you're still in Isaiah, you can come back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, that's the passage about the suffering servant uh, pointing forward to Jesus uh, who died, the suffering servant dies for, for the sins of many. Uh, and in Isaiah 53, on page 733, uh, in verse 11, it says this, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Right? God's servant, the one who dies for sin and rises again, will make many to be counted righteous. And that's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? God saved his people through Jesus to make them his people who are considered righteous. That we are a righteous people uh, in the sense of position. When God would come to save his people, he would also make them his righteous people in the sense of they would be a people who, who obey him. Uh, if you go back a little bit further to Isaiah 51, which was our Old Testament reading, God says in verse 7, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. To know righteousness, to have God's law in the heart. God's plan was to save his people and make them a people who will obey him from the heart. Uh, this righteousness is better than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because, well, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is just legalistic. Heart's not involved. God wants to save his people and make them a people who are righteous in character from the heart. Isaiah 51, God also promises that he will judge the world and save his people, and that is his righteousness. Uh, so he says in verse 5, My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. God's righteousness, God's salvation, God's justice are all linked together. God's righteousness is about his salvation and judgment. And as a result, he will bring a permanent rule of justice and righteousness. He says down in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Almost the same thing up in verse 6, But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. You see, God's plan is to not only to save his people, but to rule them permanently in perfect righteousness. But in Isaiah 51, there's still another element because righteousness is so bound to who God is, his justice, his goodness, his truth, that the ones who pursue righteousness in verse 1 are the ones who seek the Lord. He says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. That is, those who pursue righteousness are actually longing for God himself the righteous one. Because true righteousness, in terms of standing, comes from trusting in him. True righteousness, in terms of personal character, comes from loving him. True righteousness, in terms of justice and salvation, comes from his hand. And so to love righteousness is to love him. To seek righteousness is to seek him. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is ultimately to hunger and thirst for him. So, what would the beatitude have meant for the people of Jesus' day? Well, they were waiting for the coming of the kingdom. 
And if the previous beatitude tells them that the blessed ones are the ones who wait for God to bring in the kingdom rather than to fight for it themselves, then, then this beatitude reminds them of the kind of kingdom that they're waiting for. They, what they should be yearning for is not independence and wealth and nationalistic glory, but righteousness. Right standing before God, personal holiness in their lives, God's judgment upon the nations and his perfect just rule over his people. And Jesus told those disciples on that mountain so long ago that those who hunger and thirst for these things, who long for them, whose hearts desire them, they are the blessed ones. For their hunger and thirst, their longing and desire would be satisfied. Now, before we think about ourselves in this, let's think how this applies to Jesus. Because, actually, he's the one who truly exemplified every one of these Beatitudes, isn't he? He's the true people of God, a truly blessed one. And as we think about righteousness, we know that Jesus is the only absolutely righteous one. His standing before God was perfectly righteous. All his conduct, all his thinking, all his teaching was righteous. But he was not only righteous, but he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. We saw a few weeks ago, he, he, was, he was baptized for us in order to fulfill all righteousness. Came out of the water as the people of God. Starting again on behalf of us all. And then what did he do? He went and hungered and thirsted in the desert. Literally hungered and thirsted for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel of old was tested in the desert but failed. Jesus resisted the tempter. He hungered and thirsted in obedience to God. Not only to be righteous himself but as our perfect representative. And so his righteousness can become ours as well. But Jesus not only hungered and thirsted for righteousness, he died for righteousness in all three senses. He was the righteous one who was willing to face suffering and death in order to obey the Father from the heart. His character of righteousness shown at the cross. He was the righteous one who made many counted to be counted as righteous by his death in our place, bearing our guilt and our shame on our behalf. His his work to make us righteous was done at the cross. And he was willing to suffer and die so that he could rise again and bring in that kingdom of righteousness so that he could judge the world with justice and save and rule his people in, in righteousness forever. Jesus was the truly blessed one who hungered and thirsted for righteousness even unto death. So how about us now? How does this apply to us? Well, think again about the three senses of righteousness in Isaiah. Uh, first of all, righteousness is a right standing before God. Is that, is that something you long for? Do you yearn for him to say to you on that judgment day, I find you righteous? Do you see your guilt before you and you just really, really wish it could be removed, that somehow or other it could, you can get rid of it, but there's nothing that you can do to, to undo the past? 
Well, well, that's you, then your hunger and thirst for righteousness in this sense can be satisfied today. You can hear the verdict from the courtroom at the end of time right now. Because in Jesus, God offers you his righteousness. If you turn from sin and trust in Jesus, God will forgive your sin completely and declare you righteous, not because of you, but because Jesus lived that perfect life on your behalf and then died the death that you deserved for your sins on your behalf as well. So if you hunger and thirst for righteousness as that right standing before God and you turn away from sin and you come to Jesus today, you ask him to give it to you as a gift and know the joy, the relief, the, the satisfaction of sins forgiven, conscience cleansed, and the assurance of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then secondly, if you're someone who has received that righteousness, you, you will also be someone who longs to be righteous, not only in standing, but in practice. You're someone who not only mourns for your sin, but you've got a deep desire to live the, the righteous life in a practical way. You long to obey God from your heart. You really want to be someone who lives a life that pleases him. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God will change you step by step by his spirit into the person that you long to be. He will use the good things and the hard things, the joys and the sorrows, the, the happiness and the pain to mold you in this way. And sometimes, often, this process is painful. If you really hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the thing you know you need more than anything. Well, it's worth it in the end. Maybe going through sickness. Maybe going through relationship breakdown. Maybe going through grief. In all these things, keep seeking righteousness. Keep bringing these things to God in prayer. Asking for his help. And asking, how can I respond to, to, to these things that are out of my control in a way that is pleasing to God? that shows my trust in him by the way I react? How can I be godly? How can I be obedient in this tough situation? How can I act in a way that is loving and just and fair to all involved? How can I, how can I act in a way that's consistent with God's character? It's hard. But if you really want to be righteous, then God will help you do that. And one day, one day, he will bring you to the place where the struggle to be righteous will be over. The world, the sinful nature, the devil will be gone forever. And you'll be the righteous person whom you truly long to be. We will be like him, our epistle reading says, for we shall see him as he is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And then thirdly, 
As people who live in a world of unrighteousness, we long to see God's righteousness expressed in his just rule. For we live in a world where God's people are sidelined or persecuted or kidnapped or killed. A world in which crooks escape justice by their evil scheming. A world where sin is sometimes celebrated and God's law is seen to be outdated at best and nasty at worst. And we long for God to come to judge the world and save his people. We long for the day when God's rule is seen and experienced, when all wrongs are made right, when justice is finally done. We we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied because the kingdom that dawned with the coming of the king will come in all its fullness when he returns. Jesus will wind up history and judge the world. Everyone will stand before him to give account of their actions. People think they can escape justice by bribing judges or controlling the institutions of government or by running away or by even dying. But even if justice is not done today, no one will escape justice on that last day. God will even raise the dead and bring them to justice. And then and only then will he bring in the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where sin is no more and Christ rules the universe in perfect righteousness forever. So my friends, what do you hunger for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that you are perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly righteousness. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, the the truly righteous one. Who not only hungered and thirsted for righteousness, but, but went all the way to the cross for the sake of righteousness. Thank you for the standing that we have in him. That you accept us as righteous in him because of what he has done for us. Please give us hearts that long to be righteous in our own practical day-to-day lives. I was to love you from the heart and live that out. And please help us to so hunger and thirst for righteousness that we make that the the priority above everything else in our decisions. That we might be people who live lives of holiness and godliness as we wait for and hasten the day of your son's return. And the Lord Jesus will come again to judge the world in righteousness and save his people. 
And may we be people who look forward to, who long for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we will enjoy you and your righteousness forever. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.